You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. meant to be finite show of 2020 is now the hottest possibly endless show of 2021 welcome <laughs> to the glass cannon network plays delta green in a little show we call get in the trunk <laughs> get in the fucking trunk <laughs> are we sure about that name <laughs> I love it and the more I hear it the more I love it more <laughs> yeah, I made the mistake of raising a legitimate concern about it before the show, which I think made Trey only want to double down. Well, oh, once I knew Matthew had that. some ridiculous concern, I was like, yep, it's the right one. <laughs> Get out of the trunk! Get out of Listen, Matthew, you're either in the trunk or you're out. That's what I they was say. Told in, I was told in high school that uh, in Pennsylvania, it's legal for you to drive with someone in your trunk, so oh. long as you have their permission. Oh. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Joe, did you have, you have some old stories of you and your your classy Philly friends just yeah. doing some trunk driving when you got you your license? Take advantage of the uh, little known Goodfellas law. <laughs> well, I do remember. <laughs> I do remember this, and I'm not sure if they meant this exactly. But when I was in Cub Scouts, uh, I remember my dad picking up me and my buddies, and we had a station wagon, and he'd be like. Get in the truck! And we would all get in the back of the station wagon, unbuckled, no seats, and he would drive down the street and slam on the brakes. And we would all tumble <laughs> forward and howl hysterically, and then he'd hit the gas really hard again. So we all fell to the back of the car. <laughs> and this seemed totally normal. Uh, obviously, it was like soft enough, so it was just a little thing, but it, you know, you didn't get hurt. But like, I think about it now, and I think about like the obsession that people have with, and I'm not saying that this is illegitimate. I'm just saying like, you know, people in car seats until they're 11 years old, people like, uh, ex expiration dates on car seats, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, man, I don't remember anything like that. We just all <laughs> piled in the back and my dad slammed the brakes for kicks. <laughs> I don't think I buckled up till I was 24. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't do it in the eighties. Yeah. It was super uncool to buckle, man. If you were driving with your parents, you didn't buckle up. Uh, it was just like, hey, if you're going to go with uh, Mrs. Uh, Lattimore, I didn't know anyone named Mrs. Lattimore, but dude, if you were, you buckle up. Uh, <laughs> but I never thought like buckling up. It's weird how things have changed. Uh, no, I didn't know about that rule, but I am, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the title. I think that the more I've uh, just immersed myself in Delta Green, man. Get in the trunk describes a lot about what Delta Green is deep <laughs> down. Uh, for those that don't know, maybe uh, if you're jumping into this, you haven't listened to all of season one or you wanted to skip it, which you can do, by the way. It's kind of its own story. I wouldn't. Um, 
No, I wouldn't either. But uh, Delta Green is uh, a, a role playing game based on a sort of uh, the Cthulian or uh, the um, yeah the Cthulian mythos, uh, but with in modern times. And uh, there is a lot of very strange uh, demands people will make on you, uh, such as get in the trunk. And it could be extremely threatening. It could also be I'm saving your life. Get in the trunk. You know, like it really runs the whole gamut. Uh, it could be a very good thing or a very bad thing all could at the same time. Could just be trying to sneak into a drive-in. Exactly. Exactly. You just get a free ticket to the drive-in. Yeah. Uh, it could be so many different things. And that's what I think is really fun about this game is that you never really know what the motive is behind the person who said, get in the trunk. <laughs> uh, and the most exciting thing about uh, get in the trunk season two is it now features 100% more Sydney. Yeah. That's so nice. Thank you, Troy. That's a very nice thing to say. Well, Thank I was you so just, much. I was like, well, I need a good intro for Sydney. And there it is. <laughs> I was actually thinking when Matthew was like, I don't like the title. I was about to say, if you can't stand the kidnapping, get out of the trunk. But that's not how kidnapping works. You have to stay in the trunk. I don't care for this. this I don't, after I don't careful do consideration, I don't think this is for me. I'm getting out. <laughs> sir? I'm getting out. Sir? Pull over. Excuse me. Knocking on the top from the inside. Excuse I've me. I've changed my mind. <laughs> Kicking out a headlight and putting my hand out. And I'm like trying to flag the driver down. Sir, please pull over. That's actually a legitimate safety tip. If you were ever stuffed I into know. a trunk. That's what you do. Kick out, yeah, yep. kick out the taillight. Wave at the person behind you and let them know there's a body in here. <laughs> <laughs> Invite them into the trunk. Tell them, get in the trunk. Yeah. Right. Get in the trunk and get me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it just brings up painful memories for me because I've actually had to ride in a trunk before. Oh, oh. I thought you were going to say you were kidding. What the hell size car were you in that you could fit in I a truck? Was, I wasn't even a kid. I was full size. I was the whole, all six foot four I am now. And, uh, my friends and I were hanging out, and uh, you know, it was one of the few times in my life that I ever did a did a uh, Bill Clinton and inhaled. Or actually, he refused to inhale, but I was high. I don't get high. I don't do well being high. And we had to go to another apartment, and there was no room left in the car. And they they looked at me, and I was just lost because when I get high, I'm just like. Oh my God. Well, I never got into it because it puts me in a terrible state. And one of my friends who was like five foot two just looked at me and said, get in the trunk, mook. And then they threw me in the trunk and I rode all the way to our friend's apartment. And then I was like, let me out of here. And they went, shut up, mook. It was, uh, Those were friends of yours. Yep. <laughs> it was very funny at the time looking back at the, at the time it was terrifying looking back at it it's pretty funny <laughs> wait but I want to return to what kind of car was it was it like a 67 Ford Galaxy like no, a tank no, like no, an Oldsmobile it was, or something it was a sensible like uh, hand me down car that uh, parents give their kids when they leave home like it it's was a 1995 I, Honda Accord. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the, the I was going to say 1993 Ford Taurus. Like, <laughs> the chemical alteration may have made me more flexible, so I may have been folded in half perfectly to fit in the trunk. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we're stirring up those kind of memories. That's kind of the point, right? It's like you got to be unsettled. You got to be a little weirded out. Uh, that's what the game is. That's what. That's why we play it. Sydney, uh, I, I I called you up. I said I want you to be in my Delta Green game. Uh, you seemed very excited. I don't know if you were lying, but 
It Do you want seemed me to say very if I genuine. <laughs> no, no, I didn't ask a question. I simply made a statement. Uh, she was high and in a trunk at the time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she wasn't in her right mind. <laughs> Get on our show, you mook. <laughs> Joe is yelling at her from the driver's seat. Yeah. Do you want to be on that show or not? <laughs> He's, Joe's just like slamming on the brakes every ten feet, <laughs> rolling around. Oh, exactly. Fun, right? You're having the fun, old, right? The old Philly recruitment. <laughs> Pennsylvania recruitment. Uh, no, we're very excited to have you, and I'm, and I'm just curious, uh, why don't you share with everybody what your Delta Green experience is? It was funny. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that you asked me. I'm, I was so excited. I'm so excited to play. But um, at the, like, forever, months and months, almost, not a, not a year ago, less than a year ago, but um, months and months ago, you were like, yeah, I started playing Delta Green. And I was like, oh, no way. Me too. And I had never heard of the game before. I was new to it. I was playing with a group of friends. And we just kept playing it. it we, we started as like, oh, this will be like, we'll do, we'll try this out. We'll play a one-off. And then we were like, man, this game slaps. Let's keep doing. Like, let's go further and further. And it just so happened that like everything kind of coincided and GCN was doing Delta Green. And I was like, man, I wish I could play with you guys and then you're like hey want to play with us it's like fuck yes <laughs> so i was amped i was super amped but yeah delta green is such a fun game such a fun module i've had uh not too many adventures not enough to spoil anything i was careful um but i've played some like really really great missions that were just a blast and like my characters died and it's been great it's been so much fun <laughs> yeah and i think that it, it really uh speaks to what skid was saying when we first got started which we we did just same as you we just tested it out we did it as part of the new game who dish show and we did well one off didn't know if we would do more um but then part of the reason we decided to do more is because uh, skid pushed for it because he wanted to play he wasn't on the original and he said uh that delta green had a reputation for having great scenarios mm -hmm. great pre-written material and uh and i can uh, i stand by that uh, I've, I've read a lot of stuff in preparation for this and uh i mean everything i read i'm like oh, oh my god you could do this and you could do this and you could do this it's a it's really a cool system and they have created a lot of great lore and a lot of great adventures for you to play that are all really digestible you could play them if you weren't recording a show uh in in this format which are like hour-long shows you could you know you could do one in in a night or two nights basically for the most part and uh and then on to the next you know it's really really digestible and cool and uh, i think great for a group of friends to to hang um all right well do you just want to jump in do you want to just like get back into it yeah uh, yeah there's a there's it being a, the drunk yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's get back we just got out of the truck let's jump back in yes yes for those that uh are not that familiar with the system and even those that listen to the whole other season you might not remember that part of the game is uh that you do home scenes uh you also uh between missions as they say uh you have to talk about what happens to the, your character in their home life their home life is a really big part of this it's not just the adventure that we're concerned about we're also concerned about how they maintain their regular life uh, alongside this dangerous job that they do 
And so uh, the home section of the game is a mechanic that uh, allows time to pass and allows us to look in on what has happened to characters since or in the case of new characters, which we will have uh, in this season, w- you know, w- who they are a little bit and what uh, brought them to, de- to Delta Green. I will give everybody the heads up that that any character that's coming in here is not brand new to Delta Green. This isn't uh, a first mission or a recruitment mission. These are all uh, characters. Characters that have had some experience uh, one way or another uh, doing missions for Delta Green, uh, though you may not have met them yet. Uh, they are not seasoned veterans, but uh, but they have had missions in the past. So in the spirit of that, I wanted to do some uh, some home mechanics. Uh, but as all things Glass Cannon, we like to do our home mechanics with... <laughs> A little drama. You know, so funny. I was listening back to our first home mechanic, and you picked on me first, and I did this whole scene. And you remember, you were like, "I don't think the home space. I don't think the home section is supposed to be this whole scene." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? There's no other way to do it." <laughs> uh, and now I can't imagine us doing it any other way. I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that is very us. That's yeah. very us because uh, straight out of the rule book, these short vignettes should last no more than a few minutes. They are a chance to explore the most important things in an agent's life and to see whether those things are deteriorating thanks to Delta Green. uh, That's what I went into first the last time. I really was like, I want to keep it quick. Uh, This time I have no concerns with that. I've also very much changed the way that I prep from the first season. uh, And I'm leaving things a lot more open because it is once now that we are also entering a new player into the mix. There is no way for me to know what you guys are going to do. So I kind of want to just throw this uh, adventure in your lap and just see where you take it. But that all starts with seeing where we are now. What has happened since? Uh, in the first season, there was a um, a... a multiple homicide in New Jersey that you were called to, uh, to which you tracked to a student at Columbia University who it seems was triggered by some sort of advanced mathematical equation that drove them insane and uh, drove them to commit this horrible crime. Uh, as you tracked the source of how that came to be in that equation, you got a little experience in the unnatural as you fought uh, an undead creature or a creature that is inhabiting the body of a dead human being. Uh, really horrifying stuff. You lost one of your agents. So some uh, some of the characters experienced a death within their party. Some of them broke down and, and had some mental disorders. We didn't even get into that. Uh, but uh, at the end of all of that, we sort of wrapped up with... Um, Jordy Arsenault, uh, at a bar with Cody, I believe, Grant's character. Colby. Uh, Colby, Colby. sorry, Colby, Grant's character, and, uh, just talking about how crazy all of this is and how, I don't know, pointless it is to try to push against it, but mm-hmm. they have to keep trying. They have to keep trying. And then that's sort of how we faded out. Did we say on the show, or was it just after we went off the air, that that had like a no country for old men type ending? I think we said it after the fact, but yeah. not in the debrief even. We went into detail in the debrief on a lot of stuff, but we didn't mention that. Yeah. It really felt yeah. like Tommy Lee Jones sitting with his wife. With his wife. Table. Yeah. Because yeah. it was kind <laughs> totally. of like, not anticlimactic, but a little bit. You know what I mean? Like they're just talking about the effects of this on views. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I just kind of rolled with it. It just felt right. Up. You know what I mean? It was just like, it just felt like. It, it came to an end there. Uh, also, man, were we over time. I think I had told Troy six episodes. It was like 11 episodes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, live and learn uh, as, as we learn the game. So 
With that, that was how we concluded season one. And now we begin an entirely new uh, adventure. So let's, let's fade it out to a, just a black screen. And uh, we'll start hearing rolling waves in the background. Light starts to enter the frame uh, as it fades up and we see that we're standing on a, a rocky beach looking out over a vast ocean. In slow motion, the waves churn, folding one over another, each dominated by powerful, unseen forces above and below that push and pull push and pull until a single wave rises from the rest and explodes against the rocks in a magnificent display of power and futility words come up over the screen ten years later we pull back to get a wider view of the beach and we see that it is a beautiful, sunny day in what must be the tropics. Palm trees cast shade under which people lounge, sipping drinks, smiling and laughing. We keep turning until a face fills the frame, a face that we recognize. It's Roger Cumstone. <laughs> One last Troy. person. Where, where is he? A lower third fades in. Rincon, Puerto Rico. <laughs> Music. <laughs> Roger comes in, lays on a beach chair, just staring at these waves. Beat up copy of Robinson Crusoe in his hands. <laughs> He has a huge, unkempt beard covering his now perpetually tanned leather complexion. He's completely unrecognizable from the man we saw in Keene, New York, ten years ago. Cut back to the waves. See a seagull swoop down into the water, fly back up into the air with a fresh catch. Perhaps a crab. <laughs> back to Roger just staring. Do we finally see contentment in his eyes behind those black wayfinders? It's impossible to tell. Cut to exterior shot of a convenience store named El Diablo Verde. <laughs> Roger exits the store with a carton of camels and a bag of birdseed in one hand and a case of Medalla Light in the other. One of Puerto Rico's finest beers. <laughs> He walks towards a Vespa park nearby, secures the beer to the back. Vespa, amazing. <laughs> Loads the bird seed into a compartment in the seat, then rips open the carton. Carton of smokes, tries to grab a fresh pack. He opens the pack, pulls a cigarette out, holds it for a moment, then flips it upside down and puts it back in. Lucky. An old habit he picked up from Sergeant Longwood back in Desert Storm. <laughs> As, he, as he's about to light up, a short man in a Tommy Bahama shirt approaches. Excuse me, sir. Are you from around here? 
Roger doesn't even look at the guy focused on lighting up his smoke with a Zippo lighter with the word Scud engraved on it. (laughs) Yeah, he says, trying to get the Zippo to catch. A Zippo he found on the body of a Kuwaiti teen. He still remembers the frozen look in the dead teen's eyes. Jesus. The fear. The man (laughs) strolls towards Roger. What's the easiest way to get to the inner harbor from here? The light on the Zippo finally takes, but Roger is frozen for a moment. He slowly lights his cigarette, takes a long drag in, exhales, then turns towards the man. Just, uh, get back on the highway until you see the water, then drive towards it. Thanks. The man lingers for a moment, then walks away. Roger lets the cigarette dangle from his mouth, and he takes another long drag, smoking half the butt in one puff, and drops it to the ground, stamps it out with his foot. He goes to the Vespa, unlatches the case of Medela Light, and walks off screen. As the Vespa speeds off onto Puerto Rico Highway 413... We pan over to see the case of beer at the foot of a homeless man sleeping on a park bench. Blackout. 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 <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, so what you're actually seeing there is uh, that's a little signal pass. Uh, Roger knows that there is a there's a signal that Delta Green has if uh, ever someone approaches him and says. What's the easiest way to get to the inner harbor? He has a scripted response to which there is a scripted response, and then Roger knows he's been activated. But it's been 10 years, Roger. What what has Roger been up to, uh, not only from a story perspective, but in terms of uh, mechanics, home mechanics? So his dream uh, was always to run away to an island. That's what he wanted to do. Uh, he was working at a shell station uh, about a mile and a half from Fells Point in Baltimore, and, uh, you know, he's a, uh, an ex-Green Beret. Uh, he served in the Gulf War. And um, he just kind of... He, he, I think Delta Green was getting to be too much for him. And so, especially after the Michael Way case, he took that as a sign to just kind of sell all of his belongings. Sell his Brooks Robinson rookie card. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to just move to Puerto Rico and, and live in like a... It's like a small bungalow on the beach. And so he made it out there. He took Steve. And uh, he's further distanced himself from his ex-wife, Norma, which will affect some of the mechanics of what we're going to do. Now, you said we could pick two home activities where it's been a long time. So yes. the first one I chose is obvious. Back to nature. Your agent spends time in seclusion, minimizing stress, distraction, and obligations. And so it automatically reduces one bond by one as you let other responsibilities lapse. My bond with Steve has never been stronger, but moving away and getting away from Norma, uh, or is, uh, I think I wrote Norma, but I said Nora on the show, from Nora is uh, going to reduce my relationship with her by one. Um, and now I'll roll a sanity test to see if I get some sanity back. Uh, if I roll a crit success, uh, I get four. If I fumble, I lose one D4 sanity. Oh, man. So, so we yeah. say, yeah, that would. Okay, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, so my sanity is 55, so I got to roll under a 55. 
Okay. Come 55 on. or under. Yeah, and I think I failed this in our last home session when you or when you only gave us one option. Mm-hmm. So, come on. <sighs> 77. That oh, is a no. fumble. That is a crit oh, fail. No. Oh, no. So critical failure. So you take sanity take, damage from this time on the oh, island. I take 1d4 sanity damage. Oh, oh, my God. He is so messed up. Uh, and I take two points of sanity damage. Oh, oh it just couldn't. It didn't help. Why didn't it help? He, Why he didn't thought it that help? this was what he wanted all along. And it I, just. I think what he's realized is like, no matter what he does. He can't run away. Yeah. The voices in his head. Still there. The voices from the highway of death. Um, and maybe that's why he's like, I, I'll accept this mission. Yeah, maybe accepting the mission is going to be his chance to sort of exercise these demons. And then the I other thing... S- good, good. I, I can see that. Like you get, It's like, all I need, if I can just get to a tropical paradise and isolate myself, that'll fix it. And then you get it, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Like you can see that cascading and making uh, lose more sanity that's yeah. yeah like he's trying to read these escapism books but maybe at home like he's just fingering through occult books because mm-hmm. part of the thing where i was a damaged agent uh, a damaged veteran i started with uh adapted to the helplessness uh, condition um and that gave me some points in occult which really isn't his jam um I, so in my mind, it's kind of connected him to this other layer in a way. And so while he's trying to read Robinson Crusoe and stuff like that, he's really uh, getting lost and drawn to these occult books. Um, so the other thing I wanted to do was improve a skill or a stat. And I think what I'll try to do is improve my stealth, which is already incredibly high. But I'm thinking in terms of what he was trying to do is like he just wanted to lay low. And in a way hope that Delta Green never called again. Mm. Um, but they got him. And what he probably doesn't realize is this is exactly what he needs, even though it may kill him! <laughs> uh, so, improve so a skill are, or... And st- are you definitely clear on the mechanics on this? On improve a skill or stat? Yeah. Like, you realize that mechanically it's much more difficult to improve a high skill or stat than it is to improve a low skill or stat? That's true, right? Because you want the test to fail. Correct. You want to fail the test in order to improve it. And yeah. so you're, if it's a skill you're good at, you're less likely to fail, but you can give it a shot. You know what I'll do then instead? Because, you know, that's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking in terms of story, and I forgot that little wrinkle. I will try to improve my occult, which is only 20%. Okay. There you go. Because I have a higher chance of succeeding that. But For sure. Let's see here. Roger might just... So maybe you took some of the sanity uh, damage over this time, but this obsession with maybe picking up some occult books might have had actually led to some... Might have seeped in. ...actionable intelligence. Uh, and sure enough, it did with a 46 um, over 20. So I'm going to add, you add 1, 1 D10. D10 percentage Ooh. points. And I will go ahead and add 4. So... Okay, uh, so 24. That's, that's great, dude. I'll take it. I like it because my intentions were completely different than the outcome. And that, I know, that makes an interesting story. Um, so, yeah, that is Roger's uh, home sesh. Roger's home sesh. Nice. Well done. Well done. Um, okay, then let's, uh, let's, let's move it right along here. Uh, we'll fade to a, uh, an aerial shot of Manhattan. We sort of swoop up from the financial district up to the Empire State Building, past Central Park, 
And you can see all of Harlem as well. We're just kind of swooping up the entire thing as we slowly fly north. Um, and then all of a sudden we quick cut to an outside view on a gray day of Yankee Stadium. You can see it up against and all the flags around the rim blowing in a cold wind. And then up under the screen it comes up. February 2019. We see another quick cut to what looks like a small brownstone uh, in the South Bronx. We can hear the clanking of the L train filling our ears as the four train rumbles by overhead. Focus on this small three floor home, row home. And now we cut to inside the home. It's a dark room. The shades are drawn. And inside sits another familiar face. It's Jordy Arsenault. Skid, what do we see? So you see, he's surrounded by trash. <laughs> Mostly old daily news newspapers. Stacks of them, going back years. Pan around the room, you see the kitchen with this like stacks and stacks of dirty dishes and the sink flies buzzing around. You hear a, a, an angry voice on the phone as you pass through a living room. See an old CRT tube screen TV with a hammer through it. And sitting on top is an old 2009 Samsung flat screen uh, with MSNBC blaring. <laughs> and we come around and you see uh, full ashtrays scattered all over the place. One of them, a human skull with the top shorn off, filled with cigarette butts. And we see Jordy, who's a physical shell of himself from the last time we saw him, gaunt, worn down, lost a couple of inches of height just from being hunched over. And he's on the phone. He says, no, 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 no. You listen to me. I paid that bill. I paid it three weeks ago. You check your records. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. You are not going to fob me off on your supervisor. That's not going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen. If you do that, I am going to make your life a living hell. And I know how to do it. Not your company, you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to throw lawsuits at you. I'm going to have you harassed at home. Is that what you want? No, 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 no. This is not a threat. This is a prophecy. Okay? I don't make threats. I tell people what's going to happen. This is your last chance to avoid ruining your fucking life. And I'm giving it to you. I'm doing you a favor, all right? Okay. All right. All right. We understand each other. Slam. Slams the phone down. Oh, man. He gets up, knocks over one of the ashtrays, spilling ash everywhere, and he grabs an oxygen concentrator on a shoulder strap puts it over puts the tubes in his nose and leaves goes out the front door down to the corner and he goes into a bodega and sees his friend one of his only remaining friends Hossein talks to him some small talk grabs a New York Daily News and another pack of cigarettes and goes back gets back home and goes immediately to the obituaries and he goes pouring over each name. And then he stops as he sees a name 
Raphael Ben David, age 68, perished in his home in Elmer's, Queens. He's shaking, his fingers shaking as he as it hovers over the name. And he goes to an old recipe box, hands still shaking, opens it, and he flips through a bunch of ID cards, and he finds one that says Raphael Ben Hossein. Gets his oxygen concentrator and goes out again and goes a few blocks up over to Yankee Stadium to Stan Sports World across the street. He goes inside. Can I help you? And he passes over the ID. And the worker behind the desk goes and grabs an envelope from behind the, behind the counter and hands it to him. Blackout. Jordy has been activated. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Skid, that was great and so sad. Oh. Yeah, he, he's like none. Of his uh, his editor won't talk to him anymore. His agent won't talk to him anymore. His his therapist fired him. His oh, ex-wife god. Diane Lane won't return his calls. <laughs> she blames him for her divorce with Josh Brolin. Because of this constant meddling. So the only person he has left is Hossein, who runs the bodega oh. down the street. So that's his only bond now? No, no, it's one him and his old daily news editor will still occasionally talk to him. Okay. Edgar but it's Rains. on thin ice. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what home activity did you want to do? What what was that? Is that something in particular or uh no, I guess just I guess he's just isolating himself and and he's still working on his his screenplay. That's one thing a detail I left out was the typewriter. Mm-hmm. Like he's always pounding away at this typewriter. For anyone who hasn't listened to season one, he the activity that he's been working on since he started doing Delta Green stuff to keep his sanity. He pours all of his of this occult twistedness into an, an adapted screenplay of Dune. Hmm. And at this point, it's like 3,000 pages long of hand-typed pages. <laughs> Jesus. And it's the most brilliant thing he's ever written. He's a, he's a sci-fi author. It's the most brilliant thing he's ever done. He knows it, but he also knows that he can never share it with anyone. Because at this point, this thing is like the, the king in yellow. Anyone who reads it will go insane. So he has it locked away in a safe in his apartment while he's working on it. Um, so what if we call that personal motivation? Your yeah. agent indulges in the things that he or she finds meaningful. Yeah. It reduces one bond, uh, which, and I'm, obviously I'm not going to make you reduce one of your current bonds. We'll say that, you know, it's destroyed all of your bonds from the previous game pretty much. Yeah. Um, but you can roll a sanity check, and if you succeed, uh, you can get one sanity point back. Okay. And 1d4 for a critical success. All right. 28. All right. Ooh, so you get one sanity point back. That's awesome. great. Awesome. Oh, man. Amazing. Well, okay. Done. So can I work on my occult as well? Or um, uh, unnatural? Yeah. Can you I work on to, my uh, unnatural? Uh, unnatural. Um, hmm. You know, I for some reason it always... Oh, here it is. Your agent can spend... Uh, yeah, studying the unnatural. Yeah, you can do it. Okay. Uh, you must choose one bond, which loses 1d4 points. Again, let's just hand wave that because you're saying that, you know, his life is in shambles, which yeah, is yeah. exactly what we were going for. Um, and it... Uh, hmm. 
That's interesting. It just says it raises your unnatural knowledge. Uh, but it doesn't say how by how much. Yeah, it's the same thing Troy did. So she'd have to roll. He has to fail the skill, right? And then if he fails, the and skill, they get one. All right, so I guess it's the same as that. Only there's this extra thing where doing that specifically hurts your bonds even more. Right. So okay, uh, you've already hurt your bonds. Go ahead and try to roll uh, unnatural, and if okay. you succeed, it's a failure. Uh, Twenty nine just failed. Just oh, failed. Okay. Beautiful. All right, so add one d ten to your unnatural skill. One. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, just uh, failed and just passed. <laughs> just failed and just passed. Oh well. Oh well. You know it is what it is. Um, okay. Um, moving on. Let's uh, let's get into a little. Let's get into another aerial shot, huh? Why not? Uh, I love aerial shots. Yeah. Let's blow uh, the budget. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or we, we put Grant on getting us some stock footage. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> uh, Grant could track it down. Um, we see an aerial shot of Center City, Philadelphia now. That's too bad. <laughs> Shut up, Matthew. People driving in trunks all over the place. <laughs> Children unbuckled in the back seat everywhere. Restaurants <laughs> unable to get a reservation or a table left. You can't hear any o'clock in the, the afternoon. Blaring amber alerts everywhere because all the children in the city are currently in the back of trunks. <laughs> you can't get a, you can't get a seat at a restaurant even though the tables are empty for all, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Now we come over this this aerial shot and we see uh, William Penn standing atop City Hall uh, looking over Market Street and Broad Street and then Flo just a couple blocks down where we focus in on one of the most iconic skyscrapers of the Philly skyline, Liberty Place. And then we flash to inside and we're suddenly in the slick corporate offices of Hitachi America. It's bam, right on the on the placard and it looks gorgeous move inside of this office and we see a series of cubicles and at one of them surrounded by computer monitors sits a young woman that we've never seen before Sydney who is this person <laughs> you see Magdalena uh, Magdalena Magdalena, Magdalena. Uh, okay. she is 5'5 five five, pale petite framed but uh, her 4 inch black platform combat boots make her look pretty gangly even at her desk uh <laughs> She's got long black hair. It's very sleek midway down her back, but the front is cut with like such short bangs. It almost looks like she's got like a mullet going on. Hmm. Um, And aside from the eyebrow piercing and the septum piercing and the nose piercing and the lip piercing and the tongue piercing, her face looks really young and almost like innocent. Uh, She wears heavy black eyeliner, making her dark eyes even like darker, deeper, muddier. Um, And yeah, she uh, she's at Hitachi where she works uh, she almost always shows up to work in a black t-shirt and black jeans and after seven years of working there her bosses have just absolutely given up on trying to get her to wear anything else uh, <laughs> she's extremely stubborn um, yeah do you want me to tell you about my character I want to give you yeah you know what just just go in depth like feel free to uh, you know just talk about the actual sheet and stuff you know sure. get, get into it yeah, so she is the uh, security analyst for Hitachi in Center City in Philly. She grew up in California, attended UCLA, but moved to New York City after with some college friends. And they formed a hacking cracking group called Atomic. Um, she, <laughs> she hacked Hitachi, actually, and exposed like major security flaws for them and caused a huge breach. Um, and Hitachi 
surprisingly turned around and immediately hired her, figuring her figuring it would like be better to have her on their team because she can break their shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also saw something else in the code when she was in there. There was like a ghost, um, and it reached out to her, and it almost got her, but she got away. She didn't die. And she jacked out. She jacked out. <laughs> she unplugged just in time. Uh, but because she didn't die, Delta Green took a big interest in that uh, breach. And she moved to Fishtown, PA. She started working at Hitachi. And then soon she was called by Delta Green for her first mission. Um, on that mission, she ended up killing someone, which this is the first person she killed in her entire life. Uh, it fucked her up so bad. She lost some sanity points, mechanics-wise. But she doesn't have any disorders yet. But uh, that was a while ago, not too recent. She's back in the Hitachi office now with her coworkers, uh, Dave and Jorge. And they're currently arguing who's taking the next pen test. And she's like sitting at her desk drink- drinking from the thermos. She looks exhausted, though, like beyond bags under the eyes. She almost looks like her eyes are bruised. In fact, there's like a little cut on the bridge of her nose that's still healing. Um, and she's typing out some string of code, not even looking at the monitor. And she just goes... I'll take the next pen test. And Jorge's like, what about the fishing simulation for the C Street? And she's just like, she cracks her neck and she just goes, I finished an hour ago. It's fine. And Dave is like, dude, it's 10 a.m. Like, what time did you, what time did you get here this morning? She's like, guys, I couldn't sleep. Jorge, do you need help with that latest pen test or not? I'll take it on. So this is like a constant. She dives into work to escape everything else in her life including like delta green ptsd stuff but also because she works at this corporate place she wants to be on the good side of her co-workers so dave and jorge are like her friends but she doesn't go to karaoke with them she doesn't hang out with them but she will absolutely take on more work for them to be like we're cool right like we're good um and they don't mind so that's kind of where she's at uh she are they her bonds Yes, yeah, so they are, they're one of her bonds. They're kind of like a group bond I use for Hitachi in general, so... So Hitachi is a bond. Yeah, Hitachi is a bond. Um, Okay. Doesn't want to lose this job. This is how, like, she actually pays her rent and stuff. She hasn't really hacked, cracked, like, with her group Atomic. They don't do that anymore. So this is, like, I've settled into my day job, but also she's part of Delta Green. Uh, So she's got to keep it cool at the workspace, go do missions, uh, and not, not rock the boat too much. But okay. yes, she's uh, she's in her studio apartment. Her bag's packed on the floor. She's <laughs> chopping Thai peppers as something's bubbling on the stove. And she's thinking out loud, reciting almost, Computer Crimes Consultant, Virginia, FBI, FBI. <laughs> she's just like, ch- like, she's so out of it. And... She's even talking out loud. She's like, I should see a therapist. I should see a therapist. I should just call one up. I should see one. Who codes to escape coding? It's counterintuitive. And she, as she's talking, she rubs her eye. And then she just screams, fuck! Oh. And hot Thai pepper juice is just seeping into her right eye. And she's just screaming alone in her kitchen. She rushes over to the sink and she's trying to flush it out. She's going, God fucking damn it! And eyeliner is just like running down her face, down her neck, just turning the whole like top of her shirt black. Um, <laughs> and she's got her bag packed, ready to go. She's taken off work at Hitachi because, according to them, uh, she's been recruited. 
to join a task force for the FBI to go do some computer crimes consultant work. And Mm. she is extremely skeptical about what that means. Um, Mm. But also, it's not the first time that the FBI have reached out to her. So she's sort of, she's on edge a little bit, as you can tell. This message, uh, which came through an official channel for you, uh, your boss, who knows nothing about Delta Green, came to you and said, we were approached by the FBI. They're requesting you for a consultancy gig. They're paying you and they're paying Hitachi for your time. They agree to it and you're agreed to give a certain amount of leave where you can go and do uh, this other project for a few days or a week, whatever it, whatever it is. We'll you know, figure that out as we go. But it comes through official channels, unlike what we saw with Roger Comstone and uh, Jordi Arsenault, where it's not coming through official channels. So it's kind of an interesting mix there. But in both of your cases, uh, Jordi and Roger, you also, once the information fully came through about where you were to report, you were also to report to Virginia. You were also to go to FBI headquarters. And you know what? Let's bring it over to Roll20. Oh. And... Uh, what the hell? Let's just get another aerial shot. Uh, let's get an aerial shot of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Quantico, Virginia. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> helicopter shot, a classic 90s TV show helicopter shot of uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation in Quantico. Um, so, yeah, you guys have all come to this place in order to... Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I totally skipped, Sydney, your actual mechanical uh, thing. So oh, yeah. were you also personal motivation? You were talking about coding. You p- pouring yourself into coding yeah, I was to gonna try to relieve do, some of that damage? Yeah, I was going to do fulfill responsibilities. So she's oh, sort of okay. yeah trying to get her life back on track um, by making herself look better at work. Um, okay. So if I do that, I roll my sanity... On a success, yeah, just... I improve my bond by 1d6. Cool. Great. Oh, I think I failed. That's oh, a no. Se- that's a 77. <gasps> you fumbled. Oh, you did the same thing as oh, me. No. <laughs> oh, my God. A fumble means <sighs> some disastrous conflict, probably related to your agent's involvement with Delta Green. Reduce the bond by 1d4 and your sanity by 1. Oh, that is brutal. So sanity goes down 1. And yeah, so I, what do you think happened? Who are your bonds? You have Hitachi. Uh, so, is there anyone else? Yeah, I have Hitachi. I have Atomic, which is my old okay. hacking group, and then my best friend Lacey. And I feel like maybe it would make sense that my bond with Lacey would go down because I tried to focus on work. And maybe I did. Maybe I did focus on work. Stuff's fine there. But I totally have like ghosted Lacey, have not hung out with her. And she's like, dude, what the fuck is going on with you? You know, we were supposed to go rollerblading. We were supposed to go see the show. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. Work's crazy. But... She's my best friend. I would tell her everything. So I think she's kind of like, something's up. Um, uh, okay, get, so that's a roll a 1d4. It takes that much damage. That sucks. That, your bond with your your best friend. My best friend. Lazy, no. All right, let's see. Three. Three damage. Okay, Ugh. so lower that bond by three. Um, in the meantime, let's skip ahead. 
to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Quantico, Virginia. So you guys show up here. Now, um, I told you this off air, but uh, rest assured, those that listened to the first season, they're also, uh, Jordy and Roger, also both, both assured that their names have been cleared, that there's nothing to worry about with them walking into the FBI, because in their previous operation, <laughs> they were uh, they had cover identities. Uh, they were impersonating FBI agents, and they caused a bit of a stir. And so there's a, there was a chance that they could like never have their face seen anywhere near the FBI again. Uh, but they were assured uh, in their the the, the pass off that they got that uh, they could return. It was taken care of. A lot of times, this kind of stuff gets taken care of by Delta Green, and you just don't really know who it is or how. But you guys are both in desperate enough straits, and you both really understand the importance of your work. That. Taking their word for it uh, is probably the best thing to do. So you head to the FBI. While you're waiting there, um, you're in sort of a holding area, uh, you know, whatever, a waiting room while you're uh, getting ready to be taken up to uh, a person. You were given a name, uh, Thomas Carson. You were told to meet with Special Agent Thomas Carson. And uh, you wait there for a little bit and you you see that there's uh, a couple other people waiting as well. Um, Two young men, to be specific, uh, that are sitting in chairs individually in this waiting area. Um, One of them... uh, is played by Matthew. Matthew, what is this? What does this young man look like? Yes, it's that horrifying. Uh, no, he uh, he's very tall, like six three, uh, and very skinny. He's very gangly, long limbed young fellow. He's sandy haired and uh, clean shaven. He looks like a farm boy. Uh, Corn fed would be the kind of operative adjective there, uh, and he is looking a little bit. Nervous. Hmm. You know what he probably looks like? You probably think, especially you, Roger, who's like, you have a good sense of all this stuff, this kind of like military stuff. And you probably get the sense that he's like applying to be an agent. You know what I mean? Like he's so like young, clean cut, looks reasonably fit. Uh, and he's, and he's nervous. So he's probably here for an interview or something like that. Um, you have no idea that he's here for the same meeting you are, uh, sitting right next to him is another young man. Grant, what does this guy look like? He's age 35. He's well-built, six foot two. He's poured into a tight black suit by D.R. Ohm. His black hair <laughs> contrasts his pale, well-kept skin. He has deep-set, large hazel eyes that are framed by long, distinct lashes. He has a Roman aquiline nose, full lips, and a soft jawline. These features are occasionally broken up by tastefully placed beauty marks. He has a gym rat's wiry, shifty physique, calloused hands that betray the fact he's an amateur rock climber. His hair cascades <laughs> in sh- uh, to shoulder-length luscious waves that land on the broadest of shoulders. <laughs> this guy does not look like an FBI recruit. Gorgeous, no. <laughs> well-dressed, but no, with the hair. And at the age of 35, he's pretty much over the hill at this point to uh, to apply. So he might be here for something else you don't know. When you are called, uh, someone comes and says, each, you know, uh, comes in and says, uh, uh, for Thomas Carson, the consultants, and you guys all stand up. You see now that these other two are standing up as well. You're like, what's going on? And you are walked through these hallways into an elevator up to an office where you are ushered in to a rather small and honestly, uh, rather uninteresting office. Uh, it is 
a little cramped, kind of plain white walls, very minimal. Uh, a couple uninspiring photos of landscapes are just framed in like cheap frames on the wall. Um, there's a relatively cheap wooden desk, two whiteboards. It just looks like a very plain office. Um, it's also an interior of the building, uh, so it's a windowless office. Uh, an American flag hangs in the corner, and you can see that there's a seal, Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, over top of the desk. You see uh, a slightly overweight, uh, red-headed man, uh, red beard as well, pale skin, um, he is uh, on the older side. Uh, he's, he's, he's a lot of gray in his beard uh, and in his hair as well, but he still retains some of that red color. Uh, he is 61 years old. So, I mean, you could tell that he's kind of, you know, in his 60s. He's sort of older. And it seems like maybe he should be in, like, a bigger office or some sort of position, of, you know, higher position of power, maybe. But maybe you don't know all that much about what actually goes on inside the FBI and how these things are all sort of shaken out. You kind of imagine these huge corner, gorgeous offices for a lot of these guys, but maybe they're just kind of given the cheapest space that they can do to possibly get their work done. Uh, you arrive in this office, you're ushered in by uh, an assistant, a middle-aged woman who has you, uh, shows you in. And as you come in, you see that you're, there are five chairs for you guys that are all kind of like crammed into this place. Uh, you can tell they're not usually here. You come in, uh, you take a seat, and this guy sitting behind the desk stands as you walk in, sort of flattens down his tie over a slightly bulged uh, gut, and just says... Hello, thank you for coming. I am Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Thomas Carson. You can call me Tommy. I head up the Behavioral Analysis Unit 4 of the Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime. We've brought you in. Please sit down, sit down. And uh, he sits down himself. He says, we've brought you in because a few weeks ago, and you can see there's, the mash, there's a mess of papers on his desk. He's sort of like shuffling stuff around. He grabs a couple uh, manila envelopes. He says, a few weeks ago, our computers flagged a homicide in eastern Long Island. Uh, it resembled another homicide that happened about a month before that um, in mid-January now. You guys would know that it is currently February 20th. The computer flags, and we're sorry, we'll go back to, uh, back to him. The computer flags a lot of things that don't really lead to anything of significance for this department, but this one caught my attention. Um, you see he grabs a yellow legal pad, and he flips over a couple pages, sets it down, grabs a pen out of his little uh, mug holder, uh, and he, he, he looks like he's starting to get distracted. Uh, he says... Two murders within about a month of each other, and he's writing on the legal pad. Similar M.O. Um, this guy is, and he kind of like lowers his voice a little bit, ripping out the spines of his victims. <laughs> Fucked up. Normally, we don't flag a killer as serial until they commit three murders, but considering this calling card you can see he's like getting a little nervous i feel like we should at least be looking into this as a potential serial murderer even though it's not technically an fbi case and it's not technically an fbi case anyway the press beat us to this one and have already dubbed the killer the glen ridge chiropractor he now turns this legal pad towards you and if you will refer to roll 20 uh you should be able to see 
what he wrote on the legal pad as he turned it around to face you. Um, can you guys see that? Yeah. Possible unnatural threat? Mm-hmm. Mm. He turns it back around, rips off the page, crumbles it up. He Eats says, it. Eats it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've called Glen Ridge PD and offered our help, and they agreed, provided it remains their case and that we are involved in an advisory capacity only. Everybody rattle off and give me your Hume-Int scores. Sixty. I think sixty as well. Where I don't have anything, it's base ten, right? Uh, Yes, it is base ten. Yeah, forty for me. Forty percent for Jordy, also. Okay, so uh, all of you except Comstone, um, uh, you guys are all sort of picking up on this strange vibe that he seems to be talking a little louder than he needs to be. And, uh, you know, and the ones with 40 human, you get the sense that he is nervous, which is not terribly surprising. You're talking about a possible Delta Green mission here. Now, for somebody like Magdalena, you know that this is like you weren't 100 percent sure this was a Delta Green call. It could have just legitimately been an FBI consultancy gig but now as soon as he flips that legal pad around and you see that you know you're talking about a delta green operation it seems for the people that have 60 percent human that he is speaking for the benefit of other people that might be listening Mm. and that he's writing to you i've called glenn ridge pd and offered our help and they agreed provided that it remains their case and that we are involved in an advisory capacity only i agreed and told them we'd do them one better. I told them that rather than sending a team of FBI agents down there, uh, banging down doors and uh, <laughs> threatening to send private citizens to Guantanamo Bay. Uh, <laughs> or their wives. <laughs> or their wives. Uh, I would just send a few consultants down, vetted by the FBI, out of our own budget to aid in their investigation. To be at their service. He's being, being very deliberate. I'll say it again. This is not an official FBI case. We are just there to help Glen Ridge PD, and if we can get this bastard before he kills any more, I am more than happy to let the local guys get credit for this collar. Uh, go ahead and look at roll 20. He has now written another note and turned it around. Uh, tell me if you can read what that says. If unnatural, keep PD off the scene. Off the scene is keep local off PD sent. off the scent. 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 Your writing is terrible. Can you rewrite that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm you sorry, just I can't us. read this. Comstone's right. <laughs> that, that note you just passed across the desk. Would you rewrite it? <laughs> I see the word PD and local. But it could be PD, right? It could it be that like urine. I don't know. Urine. <laughs> just use block letters. Just you know, just big like capital block letters. And then with that <laughs> I did. Look it off the scent. It's all capital block letters. <laughs> oh, wow. That is uh, terrible. <laughs> he flips. He, again, he rips off the page. He says, that's where you all come in. Each of you has training in a field that is well beyond the expertise of the Glen Ridge Police Department. And tracking this killer might require any or all of your unique talents. That's why we're offering you this job. Now, you'll be paid our usual rate for consultants and uh, I need to make sure that you sign some W-9s before you leave Grace, did we um, did we get them W-9s? 
No. Can we bring? Could you bring in a stack, please? He's calling out to uh, to his assistant outside the door. We're gonna have you fill out these W nine so that we can get your official FBI consultant badges that you'll be able to take with you to Glen Ridge. He's sort of like eyes are wide and he's nodding. I've arranged a flight and a rental car for you as well as lodging nearby. Oh. Thank you, Grace. She comes in with a stack of photocopied W-9s. He starts handing them out to you. As I said, uh, purely procedural. We just need you to fill out these forms so that I can get you that official badge and uh, obviously get you paid. Um, he hands it to you furiously again, writing on his legal pad, uh, and then turns it for you to see. No cover no IDs. No cover IDs. I'll destroy forms after. So it's we're using our real names. You are using your real names. That's right. I say that out loud. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for the W9, use your real name. That's, uh, yes. That's what everybody does. Now, details, the details of the case, I honestly, I don't have time to go over with you here. Uh, you will have time to look over it all yourself. And uh, Glenridge PD is going to know a lot more about this than I will. He pulls out two manila folders, both closed. You can see little paper clips on each one. And he sort of sets them on the desk in front of, in front of him, but he doesn't hand them over to you yet. He just sort of sets them down. And he says, um, these, uh, you know, take a look at these tonight and your flight is going to leave tomorrow. Um, and as you guys are filling out the W-9s, we sort of hover over uh, Matthew's character, and we see the name that he's writing into this form. Matthew, what is this guy's name? Uh, in the first name field, he writes Gavin, and the last name, Westover. Oh. <laughs> what? 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 We hover over the second person we haven't met yet by name, uh, Grant. Grant, what name is put into this W-9? First name, Caesar. Last name, Bridges. Caesar Bridges. All right, so we see these names being filled out as we go back to Agent Tommy Carson speaking with you. And you see that he now pulls out a, uh, a small box that has handheld smartphones in it. Uh, he pulls them out and hand puts five of these smartphones down. He says, here's some secure smartphones that you can use while you're on the job. You can communicate with each other. You can communicate with me. Uh, Be aware, and this is very important, that they are all monitored by the FBI and all calls are recorded. So feel free to call me with any official business updates that you have while you're out there. Uh, And then he writes again and turns this legal pad to face you. Only official business on phone. Meet in person if you need to discuss anything off the record. Double underlined. These are the crime reports I had copied right from the Glendale PD. He taps this closed manila folders. They are the crime uh, the, the crime reports from Glendale PD. He photocopied them, put them in these uh, uh, manila envelopes. He says they are yours to examine. Go ahead and read through them tonight or at your convenience. Your flight leaves at noon tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't have any time to go into any further details. I really need to keep moving. But rest assured, you will uh, go to Grace will take you to make sure you get your badges 
and uh, we're going to get you paid. Uh, don't worry. As soon as this thing gets underway. Uh, in the meantime, any questions you think of, write them down and bring them to the Glendale PD, uh, the detective on the case. Um, um, honestly, I don't remember her name. It'll be on the forms. She will be able to answer any questions uh, that you have. One final time, he, his head is down. He's uh, squirreling onto this note, and he shows you one final uh, note on the legal pad. Crime report, last line, triple underlined. <laughs> Use nice big block letters on that last line. <laughs> he, he, he heard what you were saying. He was like, all right, I got to make it very clear. <laughs> Because this one is obviously very important. Um, and at that, he uh, sort of uh, r- he rips it off, crumples it up, and sort of unceremoniously uh, is like, Grace, uh, we're done. I, what t- I have a... Is it the three o'clock? I have a three o'clock. I'm, I'm so sorry. I have to go right now. But Grace is going to take you down to uh, certification to get your badges so that uh, you can show the PD you're legit and from us and everything. And uh, you'll be all set. Any questions you have, ask Glendale. Any official questions you have for me, you go ahead and call me on the on the secure cell phones. Uh, again, our 60 percent human people are like, this guy is strung out right now. Mm-hmm. He's really on edge. Uh, and he just sort of stands up and it's like okay uh let's he's get going so on let's edge, get out he's of here. taking his espionage notes from love actually it's the scene with the note cards <laughs> <laughs> yes yes exactly uh and so with that you're sort of like take grace is just like okay follow me right this way and she takes you over to this area where you turn in these forms and you know party has to be like what the fuck? Like, these are our real names. These are our real social security numbers going in here. But in order for them to get you these badges that would be, would stand up under any scrutiny, uh, you like, I guess they didn't want us to use cover identification. Uh, however, you can take some, I guess, solace in the idea that this guy who sent you on this has the power to recollect those forms and then destroy them as necessary. So uh, he sends you on your way. And uh, and you leave. You have to. They pretty much get you out of there at that point. Uh, and now you are holding on to these crime reports uh, that you'll be able to look into. Before you do, though, before you're able to open these, though, we fade out from that scene, and we fade up on a dimly lit library. It looks like um, a nice library, very, uh, you know, sort of like thick wooden uh, tables uh, down a long aisle in the center, flanked by dozens of bookcases, all wooden uh, with small lights on these tables. And you can see that it's pretty filled with young people. Uh, they look like college age. So maybe this is some sort of student library, a university library, all with uh, laptops out, headphones in, and everybody's kind of like typing away, doing their thing. It's kind of quiet. Uh, and this is where we see sitting at one of these tables, Gavin Westover. Uh, Matthew, what's he doing there? Uh, Gavin is sitting there with another young woman. Uh, her name is Tanya Butler, and she's uh, his friend and law school study partner. And it, they have been there for a long time. You know, their eyes are bleary. They've been poring over their one L textbooks, tort law and practice. Uh, <laughs> and Tanya is like, listen, I can't see straight anymore. It's 2 a.m. Let's call it a night. And she stands up to go and starts gathering her laptop, starts gathering her books. And Gavin is like, ah, you know what? You go. 
I need to, I, I just, there, there's something I got to, I got to read more. I'm not feeling completely, you know, set for the midterm. So I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And Tanya is a little bit weirded out because, you know, she gave him a ride here. And, but you know, he's like, no, 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 you know, Calvin's going to come pick me up. It's all going to be fine. So she's like, all right, I got to go to sleep. So she leaves. And Gavin sits there and pretends, you know, he leaves through tort law and practice until he can, <laughs> he goes over to the window. He sees her get in her car and drive away. And then he walks downstairs out of the library, you know, goes and runs over, catches his own cab, and finds his way to Chevy Chase, Maryland. A small, <laughs> nondescript <laughs> storefront in Chevy Chase. <laughs> and he looks around, makes sure no one's watching, and he goes around the back. Amazing. And he goes inside, and I mean, it's clearly just like an electronic shop, like a computer repair shop. But at that, but then. The door to the basement is slightly ajar, and he goes down to the basement, and sitting around a table are a bunch of, you know, older people, like, they're older than him, they're like, 40s to 70s, there's a pretty wide range, and the room is lit only by candlelight, and on the center of the table is this ancient-looking scroll with a pentagram on it, <sighs> and everyone's standing there with these kind of crusty decaying books and they're chanting in Latin and one of them turns around sees Gavin and gives him a nod and Gavin kind of stands in the back with the rest of the there's a crowd kind of on the other side of the room he stands with them holy shit as they chant in Latin and he kind of observes oh my god oh my god Mama, what's up, his baby boy? No, look what they did to my boy! Look what they did to my boy! So yeah, for the home mechanic, uh, I'm going to do the same thing. Troy did which improve a skill or stat, uh, and also I'm going to study a cult. That's a, you know, Gavin is trying to learn. That's what more. he's doing. Yeah. So I'm going to roll. Wait, where is Doctor Westover? Where yeah. is Doctor Westover? Why, Dr. Westover hasn't been seen for over ten years. Tonight's the anniversary. Tonight's the anniversary. Tonight's the anniversary. They say if you walk through Arlington Cemetery and call out her name, a piece of cheesecake falls out of the sky. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why you can explain it. And I fail with the 62... Great! Man, so, we are so these home. You really <laughs> are. So go. I get to. Well, add you fumbled, and so did Sid. Yeah, <laughs> two of us fumbled. I get to add six points to my cold Ooh. So what is it now? Thirty-six. Nice. Thirty-six. Fantastic. Um, do you want to hear a little bit about Gavin Westover? Yeah. Yes. So, real fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gavin Westover is a one L at Georgetown University Law Center. And uh, he is has an internship at the Department of Justice. And, yeah, what else? Oh, he got his A.B. in American Studies at Princeton University. <laughs> uh, and obviously his J.D. is in progress. Wouldn't want to you know, overstep obviously. there. Obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's. I guess everything else is probably going to come out in the mystery. But, uh, 
Yeah, Gavin, I'm a little bit okay with having a little bit more mystery, but like anything that you want to get out, just like, you know, get out that isn't going to develop over time naturally because I want people to know who these characters are, you know? Oh, well, um, I can talk about the bonds because I, you know, by improving a skill, I have to decrease one of my bonds by one. My bond with Tanya, my friend and law school study partner, is going to go down one. Uh, his other bonds are um, Chris Valak. Dr. Westover's uh, med school <gasps> rival and uh, <laughs> who and who became Gavin's uh, adoptive father after Dr. Aww. Westover disappeared. Oh. Uh, and Edith Keeler, who is his law school professor and boss at the DOJ. And Calvin Jerome, his boyfriend. Oh. How long have they been together? Uh, they've been together since college. They met. That's they met not going to work out because you should never date someone with two first names. Calvin Jerome. Bad news. <laughs> and yeah, I guess we should probably point out that this is the son, for anyone who didn't listen to the last show, this is the son of Matthew's character in the original show. Yes. And I Back love then, he was just a bratty, bratty 13-year-old teen. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was such a problem. He was yeah. such a problem. He was such a problem, God. and now he's 23 so years old. So smart, Matthew. I yeah, love that you did that. Man, it should it. also be noted that uh, he was not... Dr. Westover's biological son. He was adopted. So there's some mystery as to his parentage. His his parentage, Mm. as it were. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Okay. Well, in the evening, uh, what would you guys do? I mean, would you kind of go off on your own way? Uh, You're going to stay in town. The FBI has provided you a place to stay for the night. Um, Would you kind of just do your own thing would you talk to each other like uh, and, and i'm going to show you these uh these crime reports as well uh so you could look over those i don't know what do you think because basically if you're going to split up then somebody's going to take the crime report you know what i mean as opposed to everybody looking at it at once so what are you guys thinking when you walk out of that building there's a dive bar near quantico that uh roger would always hit up whenever he had to come in this area so uh he'll Invite the crew to do that with him to look so over these documents. Over yeah. yeah. And right. I think, I think Jordy would definitely want to catch up with Roger. He's the only one that he knows from before. Have we seen each other since the last mission the, over the last 10 years? If we think? did, it might have been one more time or something. Or uh, maybe we contact each other. Like, have you ever heard, have you heard from Lyra? Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I can't imagine that we spent a ton of time, and so yeah, we haven't seen each other in a, yeah. almost ten years. Say, come stone, you big crazy fuck! I missed you. It's good to see you. Yeah. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, we do. It's a shame we got to stop meeting like this. Yeah, be honest, I didn't think I'd be back here, but uh, here we are. More Manila folders to look over. Endless supply they have in that building. So many fucking Manila folders. I know a bar nearby called the Painted Pony. Okay. You guys want to go check these files out? Sounds phenomenal. Can can I come? Yeah, all of you should come. Be important that we meet each other, build strong bonds that'll only be broken when one of us dies. <laughs> Going to call an Uber, or like, can we walk? Uh, it's walking <laughs> distance. It's about uh, three and a half miles. 
Yeah, I think maybe uh, he still got his oxygen <laughs> concentrator over his shoulder. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll meet you there. I'll just I get an Uber and I'll meet you guys. There. I'm already calling an Uber. Anybody can jump in. That's crazy. If you think I'm going to walk three miles in these boots. Oh, uh, thank you, sweetheart. Yeah, she's got the right idea. I'll I'll I'll, I'll walk with you, Roger. I think uh, could use the exercise. All right, it's it's a quick one. Hope you can keep up. And he moves at like a slow pace. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of me a meandering pace. <laughs> Gavin has to actively walk slowly to make sure he doesn't walk. Like, Big lumbering <laughs> bastard. <laughs> and where uh, does Caesar uh, land? Is he Uber or is he going to walk? A Bentley waiting for him, and a driver to open the door for him <laughs> as he gets into the back seat and uh, says. What? The driver. Painted pony, please. And you see over his shoulder as the door closes and the Bentley starts pulling away, him texting the names of everyone that was in the room with him to a woman contact that shows up on his phone named Rosalind. And he just says, look them up. What? <laughs> what? And the yeah. car pulls away. Now, does Gavin know who Roger and Jordy are? Oh, I, I think he would have no idea. But Jordy and Roger, did they... Why don't you guys both roll a, a, a check to see if you noticed his name? Yeah, I was going to say. His last name on the W-9. He could yeah. say Gavin, but uh, did you recognize the last name on the W-9? Now, this is tough. I don't really want to do alertness. It's kind of that, but it's not really dangerous. Is it just a luck roll? Yeah, let's do a luck I roll. That sounds good. Is it over like or that. below as we were shooting for? You're shooting for below. Okay. Oh, right. Uh, no, 55. Where is it. luck? I'm not seeing it. Luck is just a coin flip. Yeah, it's it's just a 50-50. Oh, just 50-50. Okay. That's probably Yeah, right. and the reason I say that is I think that that's a good idea, Skid, is because you guys didn't ask to the, you know, that you were looking at it, but yeah, I think yeah. there's a chance that you happened to look at it. Right. You know, so. Alertness I mean, he might have introduced himself. He might have been like, I'm Gavin Westover, and then... You could do it at the bar. It's no yeah. problem. I'm yeah. just sort of curious, like if, if something happened in that office that triggered these two yet. Yeah. Uh, just throwing this out there, Roger has an 80 alertness, so he's hyper aware of his surroundings. It might have been something he may have picked up. Do you want to do that instead of luck? Uh, no, I don't really want to roll it. If you want to say that that's something, do you think that he would be actively looking at the names of all these people on their W-9s in that room as part of alertness? Alertness is about danger. Yeah. It's about like being surveilled or followed or somebody coming around a corner fat, you know, that kind not of thing. It's not really a perception check. Being aware of everything around you. I rolled an 85, so. Okay, so you don't re- see it either, but yeah. Matthew, you can, you can say it at the bar. But right now, as far as the, the walkover... You know, you guys are just getting acquainted. Roger doesn't know anything about you that you don't know about him necessarily. Um, and you guys make it to this bar in, in your three different ways. And you open up two manila folders, each with crime reports. So um, I'm going to let you guys sort of split it up because it's a lot. Uh, and I don't want to completely drag the show to a halt, but I don't want to give you this information. I want you guys getting this information. So uh, why don't we split it up? Because there's going to be one called Carl Moretti. And why don't we have uh, Troy and Skid uh, kind of read that one? So I'm going to show it to everybody. Uh, but Troy and Skid, look at that while I activate this other one. And the three of you look at the other one, which is called Vanessa Hotvin. Um, start reading these crime reports and then talk to each other about what you read 
So these two names are Carl Moretti and Vanessa Hotvan. These are the victims. These are the murder victims. And what you're looking at, as he said, is a photocopy of the crime report that is lodged with the uh, with the Glen Ridge local PD about these crimes. So I just imagine you guys sitting down at this table, splitting them up. Troy, I, they're reading this as I'm sort of like killing time, but Troy and Skid are reading one. They're pretty extensive. Uh, and I just wanted to give a huge shout out because these are assets that are not in the book. Uh, a huge shout out to friend of the show, Matt Jones, who some of you know, oh, yeah. uh, who uh, helped me make these. Wow. Uh, scratch. Wow. So oh, cool. thank you so much, Matt. Uh, same thing with the notes on the legal pad that he was writing during the, uh, the interview. Oh, that's awesome. uh, Matt helped me with those as well. So oh, sorry, Matt. Uh, Sorry, he was like, he was like, he was like, my handwriting is basically illegible. And I was like, because I didn't want them, I didn't want you recognizing my handwriting. And I was like, that makes it all the better. It's just like, it's frantic. It's in the office. They're like, yeah. what does that even say? And then he rips the page. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's very Delta Green. So, all right. So, what? Yeah. What had, is it? These had crime to reports to for the coffee cup uh, oh, ring at the bottom of the yeah. crime. It's so good. <laughs> oh, you got a ring. So, yeah, yeah, describe them. Describe what what the crime reports look like and kind of the contents. Ours has a coffee cup ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ours looks like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy yeah. like of a cheap police station, you know, Xerox machine. It's awesome. Yeah, he nailed it. Yeah, he nailed it. It's a picture Almost of the mimeographed. Yeah, uh, picture of the victim. You say, Troy? Yeah. Here we've got a picture too. Summary: When the detectives were notified and how the investigation went down, the questioning of the the witness that found the body. Um, it's funny. The first thing that I noticed, and it may be, it's kind of perfect because I'm in the same mindset that Roger is in. Like, there's tons of numbers, and like the last crime was so yeah. tied into numbers. Like, my brain just started automatically seeing if there were connections between the. The, the numbers because everything's so specific at 2347 hours uh, officers uh, number 2239 and number 2311 and then later on it's like at, at 0211 hours it's their badge hours, yeah. Yeah. yeah but there's yeah. just you see some of the numbers kind of link up and like huh? yeah, there's a connection here <laughs> I think Roger basically has hypervigilance disorder at this point with that alertness <laughs> score and everything <laughs> you know I would say the thing that uh, is that jumped out at me first is that the vic- the victim in our crime report uh, was found hanging from a tree on the grounds of a high school with her oh. head removed head and spine forcibly forcibly removed and a crushed yep. rib cage oh. At, uh, oh oh my god we had head wow. removed and jaw removed wow. Uh, yeah. And spine with a rib cage. They think the jaw was removed by local wildlife, but mm-hmm. you know that's still was up in the air. Was your team able yeah. to find the missing body parts? Because I do not believe our crime team was able to find the missing parts. They didn't Ours find the jaw. Found the head on a broader search of the crime scene, crime scene, but not mm-hmm. the jaw. The body was found in a culvert by a jogger. Also, uh, good to note that. Apparently, uh, you can't hang if you don't have a head, so they think that the body was placed there um, and elevated to its position probably after the head was taken off. And also, there is an unusual gray substance beneath the subject's fingernails. Yes, that's the the last line, like the guy said. That's the same. (laughs) The last line. That is our last line as well. And it actually on ours specifically notes that it is similar to the organic polymer located at the Carl Moretti crime scene. Guys, do you remember? <laughs> this is uh, this is Mags talking. Didn't that guy say crime report? Last line, underline, underline. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the weird bit. That's what he wanted us to look at. Seems strange. If it's the same killer, why would he hang one victim posthumously and try to hide the other one away in a culvert? Seems like two different ways of killing. Yeah. This is not Um, ordinarily, would not raise a flag for a serial killer like he was saying, except for the missing spine in this gray substance. It also says that there's no obvious means of carrying the body to its elevated position. So what did somebody do? Climb a tree? Like... And no signs of a struggle at this scene. Uh, also noteworthy, they, they figured out who this was because she had her license on her. So mm. it wasn't like there was any attempt made to conceal her identity, mm. even though they removed the head. What did your victim do for work? I don't Does think. Say, I don't think we know. Ours was maybe a dentist, or he worked at a dental office. Yeah, he was a dentist. They say, say he's a doctor. So uh, yeah, you think he's a dentist or a dental surgeon? What about you? You know how Nothing. they? You know how they say like you could easily bite off a finger like it's a baby carrot. How hard do you think it is to pull a head and spine and sever all the muscle groups in the back and neck? Depends who's doing the pulling. Could I roll criminology uh, to see like, to see if, I, if anything like a ripped away spine and head, you know, strikes me as a pattern that indicates something or if there's any kind of like his historical thing that would indicate that and then after that I would also like to roll an occult check to see if there's any kind of ritualistic beheading and spine removal that I would recognize from my secret stash of occult books that I keep in a storage locker my boyfriend doesn't know about (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes I'll do the same thing go ahead and roll criminology I rolled a one Oh, on criminology. Wow. A one, a one under 80. <laughs> oh, wow. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Uh, okay, so um, let me put something to get, because that's a crit, right? Isn't that a crit? Isn't a one an automatic crit? Or is it only one, like 11? I think the it's first only crit. the doubles, right? Um, no, because like 100 is an automatic one. fail, so I think, an automatic crit fail, so I think, I think one is a crit. Um, I'll call it, I'll call it a crit. I mean, you have an 80, so I could probably give you most of this information anyway. Um, let's get the whole big picture going here. As soon as he says, Tommy Carson, the special agent in charge, as soon as he says he's from the behavioral unit four uh, of the FBI, you, Gavin, as a, uh, a studying law student and somebody who is really familiar with criminology and the way this all works, would know that that unit uh, is specifically designated for uh, serial crimes against adults uh, and th- things that have to do with patterns, uh, murder, rape, extortion, uh, all manner of crimes that can occur repeatedly by the same offender that may have some sort of behavioral 
disorder uh, or things that can be linked together. So when he said their computer flagged this, what you're seeing in these crime reports is that it's really the removal of the spine that's jumping out that probably the computer caught um, as something that would trigger a a criminology sort of response of this is too similar and too exact to not be the same killer. Um, also the, but technically it's got a, they say three before it's a serial killer. And so they're not jumping to that conclusion yet at the FBI. You also know, as he said repeatedly, it's not an FBI case. He's, you get the sense he's trying to get out ahead of this thing uh, as much as possible because it really is so jarring that it's really scary. Now you would also know uh, with the criminology tests that like, you know, with press being all over this thing, they're probably just assuming that it's a serial killer. They're, they named it the Glen Ridge Chiropractor. But, uh, you know, you also would think that, like, that it's it's a pretty reasonable assumption considering the extreme difficulty that it takes to do such a thing, uh, which, you know, you might have a little bit of medical knowledge kicking around in there, being the uh, the son of a medical doctor, uh, that you would need some sort of device, some sort of weapon, some sort of thing to, like, do this. And uh, there are only so many things it could be, really, when you think about in terms of narrowing it down by criminology. What those things are, criminology couldn't tell you, but it could tell you that it would seriously narrow down the suspects. You know what I mean? So, like, if you could find out what that thing is, you could seriously narrow down suspects. Um, One is a crip, by the way, just in case. Yeah, I, uh, I thought so. Is it? Great. Um, Can I- so then you would also know that Unit 3 is for crimes against children. Well, there you go. But this guy's in Unit 4, which is crimes against adults. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I think that that's all I can give you. Criminology is a really tough skill for me. It's like I feel like it's like it encompasses everything about crime. So it's like you know, yeah. it's uh, it's kind of a strange one. But I wanted to give you as much information as I can right now. Um, am I cor- reconstructing? Am I sorry, go saying ahead. that on it says page two of two, so maybe it's on the first page of the report. But for the the report we were given with a woman whose uh, head was removed and never found, it says that she was identified, but it doesn't list her name in the report. Or am I misreading? Oh, Vanessa Hat. I see. Okay, Hatt-Van. Vanessa Hat. Vanessa Hat Van. Yeah, um, yeah. So to sum it up, you guys sit down at this bar and look through these two crime reports, and what you see are two somewhat similar crimes, but with some pretty interesting differences too. Vanessa Hatvan is found on uh, where is she found? She's found in a tree, but where? High school. High school. Yeah, so she's found on the grounds of a high school in a tree hanging, head removed, not found. Head and spine removed, not found. Carl Moretti found in a culvert by the bay. Head and spine removed, but head found nearby. Jaw missing, uh, but all but spine not found, removed. So some important, obviously very important similarities, but it's some very important differences, too, which is probably why the FBI is thinking, you know, we're not going to just solve this thing overnight. Let's just put some consultants on it to work with local PD and see if we can dredge anything up uh, out of their out of their files. Um And then it's the last line, the thing that he underlines multiple times on the legal pad to point your attention to. This is probably, from a criminology standpoint for Gavin, what drew it 
what drew Thomas Carson's attention to elevate this possibly to Delta Green level. It's something about an unknown substance found under the fingernails of both victims. An unusual gray substance is the word that is used in the crime report. Uh, similar to an organic polymer found in the Carl Moretti case. So both things, unusual, unseen before, found at both crime scenes. And now... It's up to this crack team of two old guys <laughs> and a few young folks to figure out who this killer is. <laughs> and we'll pick it up there next time. Oh, We're man. back, baby. We are back Good. playing Delta Green. Oh, drunk. Drunk. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit GlassCannonNetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at Patreon.com slash GlassCannon.